From KMUW Studios in Wichita, Kansas, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. And I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia podcast. This episode was recorded on Friday, October 1st. Any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. October 1st, it's my favorite month of the year. Was it Anne of Green Gables? I'm so happy we I live in a world where there are Octobers or oh, something like that. Let yes. me get that right. I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. Yes, aren't we all? Well, I am anyway. October is the finest, finest month of the year, and I'm so glad it's October. Although uh, the year flew by, did it not? It really did. Yeah, it's like almost the holidays now. But I love October because October is a wonderful reading month. It's never a wonderful reading month to me. I can go back. I've kept track of all of my books since I started keeping track. And October, you know, lately it's been okay, but there are some years where I only would get one book read in October. Yeah, interesting. I think it was because I was working at Watermark. Which is our independent bookstore here in Wichita. Yes. And the, um, what do you call it? Like when it's a false idea. The A lie. The myth is that booksellers just oh, have myth, time yeah. to read. Right? Oh, right, right, right. Um, in October, we, you know, I think we were just prepping for the holiday season because books make the perfect gift, and yes, maybe I just didn't have time to read. Yeah. To me, it's like just that cozy fall feeling. Yesterday, we had a rainy, gloomy day here in Wichita, and I just wanted to stay home and read all day and pet my cat (laughs) and eat bad snacks. So we are going to record this podcast on the first of the month. Yes. And with the intention of dropping it mid-month. So on the 10th. Oh, yeah. We have a schedule. Before mid-month. Yes. Okay. Excellent. So if you're listening to this, um, happy October to you. That's right. Happy October. All right. So one of the things we need to say is a quick shout out to James Mustick for listening to our podcast. He is our reading hero. Yes, that's right. He's the author of 1,000 Books to Read Before You Die. We mentioned it in a previous podcast about what a wonderful lifetime reading goal that is and how well curated that list is. And um, anyway, he is listening to the podcast and appreciating it. And we just really appreciate that, as we do all of our listeners. But um, yeah, we were really surprised and thrilled to hear that he gave us a listen. And we know that he listened because he commented on, <laughs> on some of the books that I noted from my English class that were not in his book. Right. Because, you know, I'm that's the only reason I'm trying to get this degree is to check off more books. <laughs> but he said, what was I thinking? Not including Mary Wollstonecraft. But he said, but I did mention the dead. When I wrote about the Dubliners, I did mention the dead. Well, you were talking about reading James Joyce. Right. And I had only looked at the list in the back, the checklist. Right. And he said he had mentioned it. So I went back to, to read. Okay. So in the section where he wrote about the Dubliners, he finished with this paragraph. Although several of Joyce's stories are recognized as masterpieces of the genre, The Dead, the book's longest and its final tale, must be singled out as one of the finest works of fiction in English. Its concluding sentences concentrate the music and magic of our language into a breathtaking and heartbreaking spell. If you never read anything else by James Joyce, do not forsake The Dead. So, Mr. Mustic, um, mea culpa. Not only was I wrong, I was spectacularly wrong. Why wasn't it on the checklist, though? It's part of Dubliners. Oh. Well, now That's... I want to read The Dead because, I mean, if it's one of the <laughs> finest works of fiction in English, I suppose I should have already read it. You know, what I think is so um, 
charming is that when he wrote, you know, I did mention the dead. He was so nice about it. <laughs> it wasn't like, you idiot. I know. That's Read me. the book. How dare you say oh. I didn't include the dead. Okay. I love the way he crafted that last sentence, by the way. Do not forsake the dead. I know. Oh, that's fabulous. I know. <laughs> okay, so let's yeah. move on from my mea culpa to what you're reading. <laughs> oh. I had, okay, so here's the thing. I didn't read much this month because, for one thing, I was in a show. I was in a musical extravaganza, and it took all of my time in <laughs> September. Uh, so not all of my time, but I did, I did manage to squeeze in a few books. But the first book I'm going to talk about today is one of my favorite books of the year. Oh, wow. So the title is Night Bitch. It's by Rachel Yoder. This book, Beth, oh, my gosh. I got to the end of it, and I was like, oh. <gasps> Wow, what just happened? That was a wonderful, wonderful reading experience. It is the weirdest, most bizarre tale. It is not going to be for everybody. People who listen to this podcast are going to quickly learn (laughs) that my tastes (laughs) run to the strange, dark, bizarre. Okay, so the premise of this book is we have a young mother. She's she's nameless in the book. Uh, She's just called the mother. This is just basically all about the push and pull of motherhood and what it does to women and the conflicting feelings that they have. But in this case, she gets so angry one night at her child not going to sleep and her husband not doing anything about it and just laying there that she literally turns into a dog and starts growling and barking at them. Well, we think it's literally. Anyway, so she begins in a very Kafkaesque way to truly believe that she's turning into a dog. And it's, I'm not going to give too much away, but this is all about sort of animal instincts and how motherhood sort of reduces you to your most animal sort of qualities, you know, when you're thinking about birthing and nursing and everything that that does. Rachel Yoder in this book just manages to capture so well. It's been a long time for me since I was in that stage of my life when my kids were toddlers. She has one toddler son. Again, he's nameless too, which I find fascinating. But it's been a long time, but this book just put me right back there to that sort of uh, the exhaustion and the guilt you feel for, you know, in giving up, you know, part of your life, giving up. In this case, she gave up her career in art. And here she is, you know, taking her son to toddler time and feeling like her brain is turning to mush and all of that stuff that goes on. I just can't recommend it highly enough. Again, it is very dark, (laughs) very um, base. Um, I was thinking of comparisons. And if you read The Need by Helen Phillips, all the different, you know, sort of feminist and uh, motherhood, you know, things that were discussed in that book. It reminded me a little bit of that. And it also sort of reminded me of Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson, which it turns out, and I didn't even know this, and Kevin Wilson has a blurb on the, oh. on the back. So he liked it too. It, does, it makes total sense because uh, there's obviously magical realism. But this is about you know motherhood and family and womanhood, uh, also about art and performance art and that sort of thing. So I, I again, this was a five-star book for me. We'll talk about ratings another day, um, but I cannot recommend it highly enough. That's Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. And and I, can I talk about the cover just real briefly? <laughs> it has the cover is this bright red with um, sort of an outline of a dog's head, and it's a woman's hand with red fingernails holding three raw steaks on it. <laughs> it's just... This book is perfect in every way. 
So, so good. So I, I might not have read much this month, but that was a doozy. Okay, so the first book on my list is A Slow Fire Burning by Paula Hawkins. You might recognize her from um, A Girl on a Train. And this is her third book. It's her third thriller. And A Slow Fire Burning is um, exactly what you would expect from a Paula Hawkins thriller. I think she called it a revenge thriller. Um, and I, you know, what's interesting, the, the title itself, Slow Fire, it's what happens in books when acid takes over the paper and it starts to eat away at it. And she imagined that that was what was happening in these people's lives, that there was just a slow burn going on. Oh, It was cool. interesting, yeah. yeah. As I mentioned, it's exactly what you would expect. You, you know, she introduces us to so many plausible killers, plausible suspects. Mm-hmm. And so I asked her, do you know who the killer is when you start writing this, or do you figure it out along the way? And she said, I know that's the one thing I do know before I start writing. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a good thriller, it's well done. She she writes, you know, the red herrings are everywhere. Is it a prop- I, I remember Girl on the Train being particularly propulsive. This is more of a slow burn. The other thing I remember about the Girl and Train book um, is the amazing way she captured alcoholism in that book and how oh so exhausting it was. I remember it. Even just the pace of that book felt exhausting to me. That woman, the character, I don't remember her name, but was drinking gin and tonics in a can. First of all, I did not know that existed. That was my first introduction to that as well. (laughs) Then I saw it on a train in Chicago. (laughs) Wow. Um, But I just, gosh, I remember that book so well. Uh, And I know that that book was, you know, there were lots of comparisons to Gone Girl. Mm -hmm. It's in that that whole genre. But I I think they're very different. Uh, Paula Hawkins and Gillian Flynn uh, have been compared to one another, but I think their books both are good, but in different ways. Okay, what what's next for you? Okay, so the next book I read this month was Several People Are Typing by Calvin Kosolke. I mentioned this briefly when I talked about the book 21 Truths About Love, which was written in list form. This book is written in a Slack channel, and I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with Slack. You should be. It's all over, you know, workplaces today. Anyway, so this is, this book is written uh, several people are typing. They're all in that Slack channel. They all work together for a marketing firm. Slackbot is a character. Oh, wow. Yes. The premise is one of the people in this office, at the very, very beginning, I'm not going to give much away, but he starts uploading a document to Slack and somehow gets caught in Slack, in this nether world of Slack. And Slackbot is trying to become human and this guy is caught in Slack and not able to go to work. And his body is just sort of, it, it's a very <laughs> weird, again, I'm, I'm into the bizarre books now. But um, I think this book captured so well. Oh, my gosh, that Slack. Okay, so I work for the Kansas News Service as part of my job here at KMUW. And we are on Slack. That's how we communicate the people on that team with one another. So we are on Slack all day. I have my Slack notifications on. And I just have to commend this author, Calvin Kosolke, for uh, capturing the way Slack is and even Slackbot's language. Because Slackbot is basically like your helper, you know, sort of the AI helper in Slack. But there are certain phrases that Slackbot uses all the time, like, I don't know, I'm just a bot and stuff like that. And all of that is in here and sort of the feeling that the boss is watching what you're writing on Slack, even in the private channels. There's that going on. There's like 
sort of real life drama involving these co-workers. It's really, really kind of a fun ride. It's a book that you can read in a sitting because of its structure. Lots of white space, you know. Oh, yeah. It's just and some people who aren't into different novel structures might not appreciate that. I, I really happen to love alternative structures. So I really like this book. I wasn't too keen on on the ending again it was just kind of like oh that's just sort of really weird and fantastical but there is a little twist um with a couple characters that did surprise me and um, it kept me reading and again I just thought it was so innovative the structure of this novel so that's several people are typing by Calvin Kosolke does anybody ever say please comment in the thread like, oh, yes, yeah <laughs> please comment in the thread I mean it's just so uh, it's just so perfect and I hear that the cross-marketing of this book, like I think Slack is on board oh, with wow. somehow promoting this book or be, yeah, I've seen some things on Instagram and elsewhere where, you know, there's packages and Slack's behind it. I, I just think it's cool. They're very cool. Okay, so my next book is The Inheritance of Orcadia Divina by Zoraida Cordova. Wow, and that this, is a mouthful. And she says it so beautifully. I'm embarrassed uh, to actually say it out loud. She roll her R's. Oh, yeah. she just is. Yeah. <laughs> she is Ecuadorian-American. Mm. And she is best known for writing, you know, YA and middle reader and teen novels. And this is her first book for adults. And it carries on that Latin American tradition of magical realism, and there's some magic involved. It's set in the United States, but we don't exactly know where. And it was just a fun read, and she was amazing to visit with. Everybody should go listen to that that episode of Marginalia, because it was just, you know, I especially loved finding out when she began writing. Because it was actually, I I had asked the question and I paused and I said, when did you start writing? And she started to talk and I started to say this book. And she said, oh, I thought you were going to ask when I started writing. I'm like, that's a good question too. Let's Mm -hmm. go with that. And I am so glad I paused. It was just the most amazing answer. Oh, I haven't listened to this one, so I need to go back and listen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And English teachers who are out there and people who can help elevate people and encourage young writers. Um, yeah, listen oh, to it and, you know. That's great. So how, uh, what's the what's the novel, what's sort of the premise of the novel? Oh, okay, so this, the offspring, the descendants of this um, Orcadia Divina are called back home because their grandmother is dying. She says, come home and collect your inheritance. You know, the inheritance is magic. That's a good premise. <laughs> so that's, you would, you would have me at, Family coming together yeah. for uh, inheritance stuff. You know, I love a family saga. But then, you know, a lot of them start dying and a lot uh, of them are cursed. And it's just really, ooh. it's really well done. Did it have a YA sort of quality to it since she's known as a YA middle grade author? Um, or was it distinctly, you know, different from her previous stuff? I think, well, I've not read her YA books, mm-hmm. so I can't speak to that. But I think really this would be good for any age. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very cool. It's very accessible. And say that title again. The inheritance of, the inheritance of. You're a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) The inheritance of Orcadia Divina by Zoraida Cordova. Okay, what's up with you? Okay, so this isn't exactly a book to read, but it's a book for readers, (laughs) and it just came out late last month. And it's called My Reading Life, a book journal, and it's put together by Anne Bogle. So Anne Bogle is the person behind the Modern Mrs. Darcy website, the podcast, uh, What Should I Read Next? She has another podcast called One Great Book. She is like a book goddess. (laughs) 
she put together this book journal, and it's for tracking your reading. But it's so much more than that. I'm really, really looking forward to digging into how I can use this. But it's called My Reading Life. It asks you certain questions about your reading. It says, diagnose your reading taste. This is at the beginning of the novel. What genres do you especially enjoy? Do you prefer character-driven books that focus on inner transformation or plot-driven books that focus on action and external conflict? It just sort of helps you really think about your reading, which could help you find books that are for you. You know, so many times, I know you're asked this a lot. I'm asked this a lot. Oh, what should I read? I'm looking for a book to read. And it's just kind of like, I don't know. You know, that's like saying, yeah, what should I eat? Right. You know, I mean, what are you in the mood for? What do you like? I'm really looking forward to sort of filling this out. The other thing I love about it is it's compact sort of size. So it fits in, you know, most carry-on kind of tote bags or even big purses. But then the bulk of the book is a reading tracker. You can set your goals. There's plenty of space to write on each page. You put the title, the author, themes, how I discovered this book, memorable quotes, thoughts and impressions. I just feel like for people like me who still love a little analog world, which is interesting coming after my last <laughs> my last book being a slack book but I still love you know I have a my my calendar is a, an old fashioned you know daytime or calendar I still love to put pen to paper and this it, it lets you rate things by enjoyment craft and overall um, who you might recommend the book to I feel like you know getting done with a book and then really reflecting on it by putting it in something like this would be just really time well spent. So anyway, that's called My Reading Life, a book journal created by Ann Bogle. You know, you and I finish the books. We typically either write a review mm-hmm. or we um, interview an author. and or so we, we talk about it here. Right. So we do have that ability to go back and reflect, but this adds just another level to it, I think. Because when I'm reading something, I'm thinking about it in terms of what question am I going to ask? Or you're thinking about it in terms of you know, writing this blanket. Yeah, what can I compare it right. to? Right, right, right. What are the themes that are worth mentioning? Yes, you're right. We read with a goal in mind right. so often. That's one reason I like what we do here is we get to revisit it yet again and maybe take a little bit deeper personal dive into what we've read. Right, especially you because you're preparing to speak to authors. So it's all about like, yeah, what questions would you ask the person who wrote this? Right. And I, I don't, you know, come at a book from that angle necessarily. Right. So that's that's really cool. I mean, you know, there are things, you know, online, certainly Goodreads is huge and, and ways that people can reflect on what they're reading. And then book reading groups and book clubs, mm-hmm. obviously, which we'll talk about a little later today. But I think just keeping track in any way, you know, even if it's a spiral notebook, just, you know, jotting down thoughts, uh, especially memorable quotes from books. Uh, so often, I know that you and I are both fans of book darts, and it's just a way to really uh, remember things that jump out at you from your reading. Right. And it just makes reading more pleasurable, I think. What's your next book, Beth? Okay, so I read Matrix by Lauren Groff. Oh, I have it. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding. I own it. And I, um, I spoke with Lauren a few weeks ago, and I told her when I started, you know, I have a really bad habit of, you know, I avoid blurbs, I avoid book yeah. jackets. You don't even I, read the jacket text. No. And I, I just... Which is smart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why. I just want to have my first impression be my impression. And so when I read the first paragraph of Matrix, which is this... She rides out of the forest alone, 17 years old, in the cold March drizzle, Marie who comes from France. I thought, 
Mm. Is this about Marie de France? (laughs) Because, okay, in my Marginalia podcast with Lauren Groff, I gave the shout out to Dr. Katie Lanning at Wichita State, who introduced me to Marie de France in my major British writers one class. You know, that's one reason I'm glad I'm taking these classes, because otherwise I would have read Matrix and had no idea who this was. We don't know a lot about Marie de France, Mm -hmm. but she was like one of the first female published writers. Oh, I'm also unfamiliar. She wrote um, Breton Lays. She was like a relative of the crown, illegitimate mm-hmm. sister or, or something. And she was sent to this abbey and she became the abbess. And so this was a reimagining of her life there. And it was, you know, it's Lauren Groff. Mm-hmm. And if you like Marie de France at all, you will love this book. Lauren Groff wrote Fates and Furies, right? She wrote Fates and Furies. She wrote Florida. She wrote Monsters of Templeton. Oh, Florida. I love that. That's a short story collection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All of those were great. Right. Yeah. Okay. This book was just long listed for the National Book Award. You know, it's, it's Lauren Groff writing. You can just yeah. expect that. I'm really looking forward to diving into that one. I can't wait. There are so many good books this year. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. Well, we can't get to them all, but I'm glad to hear we that. We can try. Yeah. So you, you, you enjoyed that one. Yes. Like. Yes. I loved it. Okay. Well, my next one, I'm not done with it yet. And in fact, I've just started, but I just wanted to mention it just briefly, at least. And that's Mrs. March, a novel by Virginia Fieto, I guess it's. I, I, I apologize if I butchered that. The cover of this book, the, the talk about this book all intrigued me. I don't know when it's set. It sort of has a 1960s feel to the setting, but I'm not real clear, at least several chapters in. I'm not not really clear when it's set, but the premise is Mrs. March is married to George March, who is a famous novelist. He has just come out with his newest book. She is at the butcher shop in her town just making pleasant conversation with someone, and they say, oh, my gosh, I, I love your husband's latest book, and isn't it funny how he finally wrote about you? (laughs) <laughs> Beth's eyes are wide. <laughs> I forget this is radio. <laughs> um, and similarly to you just now, she was like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, the main character is very obviously you. She has all your same characteristics, blah, blah, blah. Then Mrs. March realizes, wait a second, the main character of his novel is a woman of the night and a not very nice person. So what is going on here? Anyway, that's where we are, and that's where the novel—that's wow. where the novel takes off from. And uh, what I can say is that Elizabeth Moss of Mad Men fame and Handmaid's Tale apparently read this novel pre-publication. It just came out like recently. She read this novel pre-publication and loved it. Read it in one sitting. Loved it so much. She said, "I have to have it, and I have to play her." Oh wow! So it's going to be um, either a movie or a series. I'm not sure. Starring Elizabeth Moss. So anyway, that's Mrs. March by Virginia Fieto. So when we come back next month, I'll let you know what I thought about the whole thing. But I just wanted to mention it's fabulous beginning. Very cool. My next book is The Agitators by Dorothy Wickenden. Um, it's three friends who fought for abolition and women's rights, and. I actually spoke with her with a special co-host, Dr. Robin Henry. What a great idea. Right? Yes. She carried this interview, by the way. Robin is... <laughs> way to save yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Robin Henry, if you listen to KMUW, you might recognize her as one of the three Wichita State history professors who are past and present commentators. And she also was the host and producer of KMUW's podcast, Hindsight, Looking Back at 100 Years of Women's Suffrage. 
Dorothy Wickenden, her book is called The Agitators, Three Friends Who Fought for Abolition and Women's Rights. And it looks at the friendship of Francis Seward, Martha Coffinwright, and Harriet Tubman. As I mentioned, Robin carried that interview. Um, How it, cool, though. That, I mean, with her historical background. Right. And, oh, God. I just sat back and watched yeah. the, the two have a conversation. It was, <laughs> it was really wonderful. I'm just here to produce. <laughs> um, but Dorothy Wickenden, okay, so when we were setting this up, um, you know, we were trying to figure out if it would be on Zoom, if it would be a phone call, and Dorothy Wickenden preferred Zoom. So I told Robin, he said, well, Zoom quality is only as good as the setup of the person you're interviewing. And I would think that the executive editor of The New Yorker would have a really good setup. And I said, the what? <laughs> I love that. Because, as I said, I hadn't done my research and I had forgotten. Even though I have her first book and yeah. read her first book, I'd forgotten. Well, when your resume is that long, <laughs> I mean, you're going to miss something. That's hilarious, Beth. So... <laughs> And thank you, Robin. <laughs> and was her setup pretty decent? Yes, it Good. was fantastic. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> I love that. Your list is longer than mine, so what else do you want to talk about? Um, so the last one oh. I will talk about is On Animals by Susan Orlean. And she is a staff writer at The New Yorker. If you go to her contributors page on their website, you'll see that a lot of her pieces are about animals. Mm-hmm. And so well, this and- is a collection and so, you know, what's funny about Susan Orlean is, is last summer she went on what the publisher of this book calls a delightfully drunken Twitter bender in the middle of the worst year of our lives. I don't How know if you I, remember that. How did I that. miss that? Oh, I just kept seeing a lot of my friends were saying, drunk Susan Orlean on Twitter right now is the best thing that's happened during this pandemic. <laughs> drunk Susan Orlean is what we all need now. What we all need now. Okay, I know what I'll be uh, scrolling back through. Yeah. Anyway, you'll have to listen to the podcast yeah. because I did ask her about it. Um, but I kept thinking of you. In fact, you'll see that I wrote in this book <laughs> March some marginalia I, yes I love marginalia <laughs> I wrote Suzanne oh yes because okay. this um this essay is called show dog <laughs> okay and I don't know quite how to take that <laughs> here's the first here's the first um paragraph if I were a bitch I'd be in love with Biff Truesdale Biff is perfect he's friendly good-looking rich famous and in excellent physical condition He almost never drools. He's not afraid of commitment. He wants children. Actually, he already has children and wants a lot more. He works hard and is a consummate professional, but he also knows how to have fun. What Biff likes most is food and sex. But there's there's a chapter in here which goes through all of the purebred categories. You've talked to me about the, like the... Dog um, breeds is my Jeopardy category. (laughs) Yes. That's why I, can't I thought you about remember you. that. Oh, of course. <laughs> I have very, very bizarre uh, Jeopardy categories. We all have some, and dog breeds is one of mine. Just because when I was uh, a, a young tyke, um, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian because I love loved animals. And um, as a splurge, I think it was a Christmas gift. My parents got me the American Kennel Club dog book. It's the big, thick huge book of every single breed that exists and all their characteristics and I read that through and through but you know breeds have changed since then so I think you'd like this because she also loves animals she loves animals and so these are all I mean she writes creative nonfiction that is so accessible and so readable and just well done and this is her collection about um, animals oh I will definitely definitely pick this up thank you so much appreciate it Okay, the other two bullet points on my reading list, 
I just want to mention the authors I've read in undergrad school. Undergrad school. Here is Bess. Undergrad school. <laughs> so I have read works in September by, let me just go with last names. <laughs> yes. Barbald Wordsworth, his sister Wordsworth, Smith, Coleridge, Shelley, not Mary, but her husband, Percy, Lord Byron, Keats, Browning, Robert, and Browning, Elizabeth Barrett, his wow. wife. Wow. That's a, quite a list, and I bet you got to check off some of Mustick's. Um... No. No. <laughs> no. I did not. And, but my 1,000 book selection, because I'm trying to get one done, yep. and it took until yesterday Good to do you. it. Harold and the Purple Crayon by Crockett Johnson. Yes, what a lovely, lovely children's book that is. A classic. Yes, it's all about it imagination. In the 50s, I think. Yeah. yeah. He uses his crayon to draw things, and then he goes into those things, and the, he draws the ocean, and he goes into the ocean. It is still appealing to children, even today. Very and, cool. Yeah, and I love that you, I need to, to pick a couple of <laughs> short, quick books from that. I have a stack ready. Yeah. <laughs> I have Death of a Salesman ready. I have um, oh, yeah. Charlotte's Web ready. I have my stack of short books ready, uh, just in case I, I run into the deadline again, because right. I'm deadline-oriented. Well, we were going to talk today about uh, reading groups. Groups that you're a part of uh, where you talk about reading. It's not necessarily book clubs, you know? Like, I think there can be reading groups outside of book clubs. People consider a book club to be a group of people who read the same book and then get together to talk about it. There are all sorts of other types of reading groups, right? I like to call them literary affiliations. Yes. <laughs> and there are some book-adjacent kind of groups. Over the years, I've been involved in several of them. You know, I believe it was in the 90s it started being a big deal in Oprah's book club. You know, you'd have your Oprah's selection and it would be a bestseller instantly and all that stuff still is. Um, around that time in 1997, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I started a book club at the Wichita Eagle where I worked at the time. And it has sort of evolved over the years, but is a sort of offshoot of that club is still meeting. Twelve of us women have been together for many, many years, and now we travel once a year, and, and now it's about so much more than books, of course. But over the years, we've read just a lot of different books. So, yeah, that's been kind of a great part of my life. You know, one of my longest-running book clubs is, is one that we both are part of, and that's Literary Feast, which we've mentioned before. When it started, KMBW started it with Watermark Books in August of 2005. Yeah. So I was a part of it then because I worked for Watermark Books, and now I've been a part of it now because I'm here. And so um, we have the list of every book that we've read since that inception on our website. That is very handy, by the way. I still look back at that yeah. and think, wow. Like, I wasn't a part of Lit Feast when it first began, but obviously I, I am now. Looking forward to our uh, October book, which is Beautiful World, Where Are You? Mm -hmm. uh, by Sally Rooney. But, um, yeah, I just love what I love about Literary Feast and what I love about some of these reading groups that we'll mention here today is the variety of people. So, so many book clubs are seen as like a woman's thing. Mm. Um, but Literary Feast, while it still tends to be mostly women, there are also men that, that come, and it, it just it leads to a whole different type of conversation, you know? I mean, just a more rich, more varied perspectives. And I really love that about Lit Feast. Mm -hmm. That and the food when we meet in real life. <laughs> well, and now we are meeting um, virtually, on, yeah, yes. virtually on Zoom. So if you are listening to this from... I don't know, Germany. You can join us. It'll be 2 a.m. where you are, but you could join us and have a conversation. It's a way to have a discussion about a book you've read. It's a way to glean new ideas. It's a way to 
Yeah, it's just fantastic. And this is a book by an Irish author, so maybe you're in Ireland and want to hear right. about Sally Rooney's new book. But uh, it's always a good discussion. Right. And, and oh, I'll, I'll never forget certain, certain months' uh, discussion when there were so, so conflicting opinions about a book. That's what makes good. You know, when everyone loves the book, who yeah. cares? <laughs> we just eat and drink. Yeah, when everyone <laughs> loves the book, it's like, oh, yeah, this was so great. Okay, well, on to the next thing. But when someone can say, oh, my gosh, I thought this was the worst thing ever, and here's why, and they're sitting beside a person who's like, wait a second, what? I loved this. A book club that I was in had that sort of experience with Gentlemen in Moscow, oh, uh-huh. which is, of course, as we know, one of my all-time favorite novels, really looking forward to Lincoln Highway, which comes out next week. But I remember going to that book club saying, well, surely everybody loved this book as much as I did. But there were many, many people who read that novel and just thought it was slow or plodding or needed editing or whatever. Oh, no, I wow. thought every word was a jewel. So that was it leads to good discussion. And um, another group that has been going on, we're, we're working on the sixth year. Do you want to talk about? Yes. So Read ICT is not exactly a book club, but it is a reading group. And that is a, an annual challenge that we put together. We are prepping for the sixth annual Read ICT challenge. That's ICT or the call letters for Wichita. And this is a 12-book, 12 12-month 12 challenge. Hopefully we will talk about it a little in our January episode, perhaps, mm-hmm. and about reading challenges in general. But this is a partnership with the Wichita Public Library, and now the Wichita Eagle and KMUW are on board for this as well. We're developing the categories as we speak for this sixth year. And one of the many, many great things about this challenge is the Facebook community that has blossomed out of it. And it's just a very active, engaged civil <laughs> discussion of reading. You can find it on Facebook, hashtag read ICT challenge. And it's just a great place to go to see what other people are reading, get their thoughts on it, what, you know, what's on people's TBR, uh, books they gave up for one reason or another. And also, of course, you know, books that fit into the different categories. So yeah, check that out. Very cool. Yeah. Well, here's a challenge that I just recently joined and it's brand new. So if you're listening to this, there's time for you to join. So Adam O'Fallon Price is a staff writer for The Millions. If we've talked about The Millions, like their most anticipated list that they put out twice a, a year. It's a website about books. Right. Mm-hmm. So last week he wrote about his plan, and this is what he wrote. Once a week, every week, I will read one story from William Trevor's The Collected Stories and write about it. There are 85 stories in this volume comprising of 1,261 total pages. So this will be no small undertaking. I will read and write about them in sequence, beginning with A Meeting in Middle Age and ending with Kathleen's Field. This project, generously assuming completion, should take about a year and a half, with the final entry logged sometime in the spring or early summer of 2023. And so I signed up for it. Wow. And Because you're not doing enough. Well, it's, it's one story a week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, if you I are love that. I right. love that sort of bite-sized, doable, slow and steady kind of reads. I don't have to write about it, but I can right. read it, and I can read what he wrote about it. And if, if you are daunted by the thought of, of, of a book club where you have to read a novel or something like that, reading a story just makes it very accessible. And so we will include the link on the website if you want to go ahead and join because he'll send an email out and tell you where you can read the latest and, cool. and whatnot. As a bonus, this is one of the thousand books uh, to read before ding, you ding, die, ding, ding. right? And Thank I'm holding you, it right James here. Music. I want to see that. Oh, it, it is heavy. Ooh, yeah. Oh, wow. Gosh, how have I never read any of his stories, maybe? Well, start with the meeting in, in Middle Age. Yeah. <laughs> One of the finest writers now at work in our language, says the Boston Globe. 
oh, wow, that's going to be fantastic. Oh, I just love like these tomes of a book right. that it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I got through that slow, slow and slow going. You know what I just bought, Beth, recently? The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, I love that book. Unabridged. And that's going to be my slow and steady book for this fall and winter. Well, it was written in serials. Yes. So that's the perfect way to exactly. read it. Oh, yeah. I love that book. I know everyone I talk to loves it, but I'm, it's just so intimidating. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just bite off a little piece at a time. It'll be my own little reading um, excursion this fall. I think I read that in um, January of two thousand four. How, how, how would you know that off the top of your head? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and before you mentioned the short story group that yes. I'm a part of, before I mention that, I want to mention another thing that might make reading more accessible if you want a challenge. In 2013, I believe, Plymouth University kicked off the Moby Dick Big Read. They promised a full audiobook of Herman Melville's influential novel with famous and not-so-famous voices taking on each chapter. So the recordings were completed in 2016, and all 135 chapters are available to be listened to in your browser, on SoundCloud, or even heard as a podcast. So, you know, you come for Benedict Cumberbatch, yes. and you stay for the fishing. Yes, you do. And as an aside, um, James Mustick actually has a recommendation for um, a Moby Dick audiobook in his Listen Up 12 Terrific Audiobooks list. And it's Moby Dick by Herman Melville, read by Frank Muller. Okay. So there's that, too. So when I think of book clubs, yeah. I can't help but think of your French Martini book club. <laughs> and that is, you want to talk, talk a little bit about that? Well, it was I was on this um, a board of the Friends of the Wichita Art Museum, and... A lot of the ladies, after our meetings, would head over to Larkspur and have French martinis. They would start asking me about books, and they decided that we should have a book club after our meetings. And it lasted for a little while. I, I believe our first read was Mothering Sunday by Graham oh, Swift. Oh, what a perfect read. But, um, you know, French martinis aren't even on the menu anymore. But they, they Is that right? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I was... I was you know, delighted to join for a handful of uh -huh. those meetings, I think, <laughs> even though I wasn't on the board. I just met them in the afternoon there after their board meeting. And what I loved about that was the, the age range of, you know, of I, I love multi-generational right. groups getting together to talk about books. And these ladies were delightful. The French martinis did not hurt. <laughs> French martini, by the way, has pineapple juice and, and vodka and vodka and Chambord, yes. Chambord. Uh, anyway, Chambord, Chambord. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it is a delightful drink. These were delightful ladies, and when I think about uh, book groups, I just uh, always, always think about them and being at Larkspur in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so, what else is going on, Beth? So, you mentioned earlier about the short story group, and you know, this started as a catch-up on Zoom early into the pandemic. So during shutdowns. Yes. So mm -hmm. I think it was probably the summer. And, you know, it was just four people catching up on Zoom. Somehow in that one meeting, it turned into, oh, yeah, well, let's read Infinite Jest and get together every week. <laughs> wow. The it's, goals we had right. during that shutdown. And I think we made it halfway before two of us just bailed. And <laughs> I mean, I might get back to it one day, but that's Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, which everybody claims to have read, but nobody actually has. Ah. Um, and then that turned into a reading group I joined these gentlemen who one person in our group was like on the faculty with these other guys and they were reading one chapter at a time, White Noise by Don DeLillo. And I'm like, well, I'll read that. So I joined in with that. And then that turned into this short story group 
This has expanded from the original four to a group of participants in Wichita, Topeka, Kansas City, Milwaukee, Fort Wayne, Chicago, and Billings. How cool. And, you know, short stories are very accessible. They can provide a sense of accomplishment, like we've mentioned. And this one is actually, um, it's one of the guys named it Ennui, which oh. is the feeling of listlessness and dissatisfaction arising from a lack of occupation or excitement. So that's my Ennui. The Ennui short, short story group. Oh, yeah. I love that. And you, you guys meet once a month uh every other monday oh and we are on a like we took a month off because everybody was really busy you know it's worth mentioning though that you know book clubs can evolve and they can change book groups can you know members can come and go you can take some time off and then regroup so if you're part of a group that has sort of lagged or you know it, it, it's hard to you know get the logistics together for it don't give up because sometimes you just need to shift course a little bit but it's I just think so fulfilling to get together with people and talk books of course right. we would feel that way well and as much as reading is a solitary endeavor it can be just so much better when you add another idea to the conversation yes and book people are the best people that seems like a good place to stop. It sure does. <laughs> um, please, please reach out to us. We want to hear what you think about the podcast and also maybe some things you'd like for us to talk about, some topics you'd like us to tackle. Uh, you can reach out to us on email at podcasts, that's plural, podcasts at kmuw.org because there are a lot of podcasts at KMUW you might want to check out. Reach us on Twitter at books and whatnot. That's books, A-N-D, whatnot. Uh, I'm on Twitter as Suze Perez ICT, and Beth is on Twitter very fittingly as at Beth Golay. <laughs> uh, you can also see us uh, on Instagram at books underscore and underscore whatnot. So thanks for joining us for Books and Whatnot. We'll be back next month. And until that time, just keep turning those pages. Bye-bye. Bye. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Stanser and Torin Anderson. Producers are Haley Krausen and Jonathan Huber. And editors are Beth Golay, Suzanne Perez, and Luann Stevens. You can find more conversations and a list of titles discussed, plus Beth Golay's marginalia interviews and Suzanne Perez's book reviews at kmuw.org.